Welcome to episode 30 of the Tech Gypsies podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. I am Kim Lane. And we are recording this, um, I would say, about between 12 and 24 hours late. Yeah, we've uh, been traveling. Um, I mean, last weekend we did it back in Hermosa. We just got back from Vancouver. Uh, this week we were in uh, Virginia and Massachusetts, um, but now we're back in Hermosa. Yeah, and I think last night, by the time we both got back home, uh, I, I know I wasn't really in any sort of mental condition to string um, sentences together. Uh, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully yeah. I am now. We'll see. Yeah, you just you had that look in your eye, and it's it's my self appointed duty to. Um, prevent you from being as angry and raging as possible on these podcasts. So. Also, my team was losing a football game. And so yeah, I was just, par- I was that's so part of dispirited. It. If you can sink any lower um, after, I mean, I guess we're almost at the end of this presidential election. Now we just get to move into the after, aftermath. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, the anxiety levels are, are pretty, pretty high. Um, so... Uh, what were you – so do you want to talk about what I was doing in Virginia or what you were doing in Virginia slash Massachusetts? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll open lightly with what I was doing in Virginia, and then you can talk about what you were doing there, and then I'll, I'll go into what we are doing in, in uh, Boston. But, yeah, I, uh, we both went to Virginia, and I spoke at Open Ed uh, with our friend Tom Woodward um, on API Nirvana, which was just basically a really quick uh, talk on – you know how uh, everyone should should you know understand what an API is and not be afraid and potentially embark on their own personal journey when it comes to understanding our digital self and and the role that APIs play in that. And then as soon as I was done, I I flew out. But what'd you do in town? So I um I was I spoke on Wednesday at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University, um, Tom's employer. Um, the digital or the uh, English department and the sociology department um, uh, sponsored me to give a, a graduate seminar, um, and I gave a talk on. That was my last talk of the year. Whew, thank goodness. Um, I gave a talk on predicting the future, um, looking at some of the corporate um, funded and um, nonprofit organizations, and then just larger, sort of under the sort of the narratives around the tech sector that tell us, um, that sort of promise us particular futures. And I wanted to unpack sort of some of their methodology, but certainly the ideology that drives these sorts of sweeping predictions about the future that I find um, in, in terms of education are pretty destabilizing and in terms of capitalism are really in the, in the service of um, filling the pockets of, of our capitalist overlords as opposed to sort of uh, any sort of progressive, politically progressive future. And I mean, that theme carried on. I went to Boston uh, for my, the seventh edition of my API strategy and practice conference. Um, And it was two days, well, three days with the workshops, but I was there for two days. And um, that was a piece of my talk, you know, after, you know, I, I kind of, because that was the core community that it had invested in, some money, put up some money um, to support us this summer, I kind of wanted to 
share share the story of of what happened this summer and and going into this fall, as well as uh, um, just kind of point out to the community because the the theme was like tell your story um, from the trenches, whatever it is. And I really wanted to point out to the community, you know, that you know my kind of uh, focus as an API evangelist for the last five six years has has put me health wise and and. Uh, in, in a pretty bad position, and I wanted to just point out that everyone should be paying attention to what matters and pointing out that, you know, the hype and the bullshit, um, which was very clear to me coming back, about 60% of this is just made up bullshit, promising the future, trying to push forward, uh, you know, various uh, ideologies and agendas and, you know, that are, are usually VC and profit uh, oriented uh, visions and we just need to get better at not buying into them and seeing the world for what it is. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, it's funny. I'm, you know, having finished my last talk, now I'm turning to my year in review that this is the seventh year um, that I'll have done that. And for me, it's, it's always, it's so fascinating to look at the predictions that you hear from investors that you hear from entrepreneurs um, that sometimes echo science fiction, um, but then actually sort of look really closely at what just happened. So for me, the reviewing what just happened over the course of the last 12 years is, is really does try to under, under or at least uh, undermine, but um, challenge some of these sweeping claims that they make um, about the things that, you know, to borrow a phrase from the Horizon Report, the things that are on the horizon. And, you know, I want us to ask these questions of why are these things interesting to us? Like, I, you know, I, you know people say, um, uh, you know, the uh, people often make jokes about jetpacks, for example. But for me, I, I want to say, like, why are jetpacks even the thing? Like, why did jetpacks become a cultural marker, pop culture marker, a technological signification of the future. Because jetpacks <laughs> are actually quite an old, right? They're actually an old imagination. This isn't actually, an, an, when we talk about jetpacks, we're actually reinscribing a future that was predicted 100 years ago. So, like, why is that even, and why is that even sort of count as imaginative or innovative? You're actually like redoing early twentieth century science fiction. Yeah, that's all I was going to say. Is is this isn't really innovation, and it's funny that it's 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 heralded and showcased as as being for so forward thinking. When, as as I see most of it, is just an assault on the present to keep us from moving forward very fast and kind of in this constant state of, of sus I don't know, suspended reality so that we can be sold things and we can be manipulated in other ways. Well, it's certainly, um, we, we're certainly told stories as though the world is very, I mean, as this full of sort of uncertainty and precarity. And I think that, you know, I mean, and I, I don't mean to minimize the fact that, you know, many of us do live in incredibly, incredibly precarious situations financially, um, emotionally, et cetera. But um, when, you, when you are assaulted as that the things aren't going well, even when some of the indicators are that things are better than they've ever been before, 
which is relative, I recognize. But when you're assaulted with this notion that, that everything is very uncertain, we do, I think, as humans, like to turn to the storytellers who promise us that they know the future, right? And of course, you know, tomorrow's the US presidential election. And one of those people, I think, who people have gravitated to believing that he can tell the future is Nate Silver, right? And so I think that even someone like Nate Silver, who sort of his claim to fame was developing polling models and sort of deconstructing some of the stories that we tell about who's going to win the election. He's become wrapped up in this other sort of storytelling um, business model that I think feeds the same sort of fear and anxiety that um, that we're experiencing. And I mean, I I just don't. I just don't think there's any way you can tell the future. This is one of the reasons in the API space I just avoid, like, what is next, what's coming down the road, because I'm so often so wrong and and just can't predict what's going on that I don't want to be in that business. I don't know how people can do it. And, I mean, per back to your talk is, you know, um, you know, your talk was the best way to, to predict the future is to issue a press release. And I think that's really, you know, I... I'm, I just feel that anybody who's in the business of predicting the future is just trying to, uh, uh, you know, make it, shape it in the way that, that they see it, they want it to, to happen, which I, I don't think in itself is, is a bad thing. But when, when that's product and, and, and capitalism oriented, then, yeah, it becomes a problem. Well, right. When it's a multi-billion dollar industry that also tends to be fueling um, – fueling things like neoliberalism, libertarianism, white supremacy, right? Predictive analytics that are totally reliant on surveillance. Then, yeah, I mean, I do actually think we're, we are sort of bound um, to talk about these things politically. And I think that makes a lot of people in Silicon Valley quite uncomfortable because they believe that they are ideology free, right? They believe in the politics of no politics, which is, of course, so quickly fascism, right? That that's, uh, I think that that's part of the problem that we're, we're that we're facing right now with these giant um, corporations that are shaping the stories, right? Not just shaping the, 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 the technologies that we use to, for, you know, for, quote, production, um, that they're shaping the cultural reproduction. And I think that that's, that's a powerful thing that they're quite uncomfortable talking about. I mean, you know, like we've talked about this a lot, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's insistence that Facebook is not a media company. Well, well and I, I think that, you know, the, the fact that people don't realize to what degree they're a, they're a tool in, in a lot of these these historical toolboxes, they're completely unaware that they're 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 spouting um, classic old old school right wing uh, propaganda when they're you know advocating for things like blockchain and and that we can you know it blows my mind that we can sit here in the election with anxiety so high things being you know someone like Trump disrupting uh, the election but we've been touting for the last decade disruption 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 and then in 2016 we're like whoa why the fuck 
look, everything is so fucking, you know, crazy and wacky because of all of this, you know. And we have people polarized on Facebook and on Twitter and we have trolls and we have Russia intervening. But then we're like, yeah, disruption, disruption, disruption. But wait, why is things so weird? Well, I mean, and again, I, you know, I think that the the disruption, the story, the, the story that we tell about disruption, and I've written about this quite a bit. I mean, I think that the story of disruption the story of disruptive innovation is a story, is an apocalyptic story, right? It's a prediction about the future that is really an end times apocalyptic millennial um, story. And it ha- it actually is, um, it's about, it purports to be about just about markets, right? It purports to just be about um, perhaps perhaps political in the way that markets are political, but I also think it's deeply religious, right? I think it, that this is, that these things are deeply, deeply religious. And again, these are sort of unexamined, um, sort of unexamined that, that we don't, we don't necessarily look too deeply at, um, at, the, at, at these things. We just sort of accept the stories at, at this sort of mythological at this mythological level, but disruption is disruption is is a is a powerful myth, um, but that it's and it has this religious believability, or un, well, unchallengeability we, to it. Yeah, and when I think when we lack those roots, I mean, there's a, a, a post in the all you 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 included in uh, when truth falls apart. I mean, I think that's what just really makes for this rich environment that allows this to occur. Yeah. So, um, I, although, I mean, how are you feeling about tomorrow? I mean, I'm, I'm super, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm super optimistic. You're super uh, optimistic? Uh, like you're yeah, super uh, about, optimistic? Yeah, about Hillary winning. Oh, okay. I know Hillary's going to win. I know, um, we're going to be okay. Um, even though things seem like they're, uh, completely falling apart. I mean, I have, I've had a lot of time. My talk in, at API Strat was very much reflecting over the last 25 years of my life and had a lot of questions about, you know, my 25-year-old self um, back in the 90s. And, and then, uh, you know, Janet Reno passing away today, um, things like Waco, Texas came up, th- you know, things that were in my mind back then. And um, to me, back then, for, to my 20s. Should we, should we, an asterisk, since I do know that we have international listeners. Uh, Janet Reno is, was, do you want to say what, who she was? Do you want me to say who she um, was? She was the, shit. <laughs> sorry, she was the U.S. Attorney General yes, under Clinton. That's, that's, yeah, thanks yeah. for calling me out. Sorry, on. no, I don't um, like that, I just, yeah. Yeah, but in a way, so she presided, she was very much a, uh, um, a, a go-getter and, and, an intense person on the TV screen back when I was in my 20s and um, and presided over some very scary situations um, in, in Waco, Texas, the, the, the siege there where quite a few, you know, 78 people died, including kids. And then um, uh, the Oklahoma City bombing, which, uh, you know, slight side story, I was uh, swooped up in that, by the FBI in that, uh, in that whole escapade. Um, not for anything that I did. I was not actually involved. I just happened to have the same name or a similar name and same age as someone that was. And so it was a very scary, scary, scary time for me. And so I look back and I'm like, you know, 
there's been we've had periods of very scary times in the in in the past but where where my the root of my anxiety comes from is in and most of my anxiety in my life right now is my daughter my 16 year old daughter and the 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 rhetoric that the trump campaign has stirred up and basically the um the fact that we're not celebrating that uh, uh, we have our first female uh presidential nominee um and we're going to have our first female president and um and and looking for the next 4 years we're basically you know all the sexism and 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 misogyny in the world bubbles up and is 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 has this just and the internet, the things that I love, APIs, Twitter, Facebook, all of this are, are projecting this on the world. Yeah, it, it was actually really interesting, and I'm glad you, I'm, not, I'm sorry I called you out on who Janet Reno was, but it was actually really interesting to hear the news this morning and the retrospective of her. And I think you're right. Like, there was a reminder for me on a, on a couple of levels of, um, I think that things are bad. I would say things are really bad. I'm not, I'm not as, I'm not super optimistic to borrow your phrase. Um, things are bad in the U S now, but I think that things <laughs> have always been bad. Right. Um, and I don't mean that in a defeatist sense, but to hear, to, to remember Janet Reno, which is a name that had sort of slipped. Um, but for me, it, it, it was a reminder of, um, this very strange relationship similarly that I have with the Clintons, right? With, um, with president Clinton. Um, and then I suppose Hillary Clinton by, by being the first lady, but, you know, thinking about the, the Waco siege, um, thinking about the capture of the Unabomber, um, the Oklahoma city bombing, um, Richard Jewell at the Olympics. Uh, the, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And then that. the Eric Rudolph guy that was the actual bomber. Um, and then um, Elian Gonzalez. I was reminded of the ways in which sort of there was, there was very much in the Clinton era um, this uprising of a militia, of, of, um, of, a, of, a, of a militia, uh, white supremacist militia, anti-government militia in the U.S., um, but that also um, thinking about how, what was learned and not learned by the government, um, and how that shaped things like the Bundys more recently. Anyway, this is sort of getting into the weeds, but yeah, I, I mean, I I am not super optimistic. I I think I think Hillary Clinton will win. But I'm actually I'm actually pretty nervous about what these militia groups might do tomorrow and what they might do the day after tomorrow. And this sort of quagmire that the U.S. has got itself into in terms of being a non-functioning um, democracy. But um, to bring it back to tech, I do want to talk about email sadly, as a way, it's sort of like this, this non-controversy controversy that has plagued the Clinton campaign um, that I think the FBI almost derail, or certainly it felt as though momentarily might derail her campaign once again 
um, a week ago, and now the news yesterday or the day before that it actually wasn't a deal. Yeah, I mean, that just seemed, I mean, I know people like want to say that, well, he's he required to be transparent about things, but that just reeked of, of sending signals to disrupt the campaign. Um, but, you know, to you know, to back it up, like there's just it, it blows my mind that this is is has been such a dominant theme throughout the campaign. The emails quote yeah, scandal, the, yeah. the, the email scandal, because it's like it just keeps giving and keeps popping up. And and I mean, I email is like, I mean, it's tough in government because you know I worked in government and it's like your your regular email for for your agency or for your position or role is. It's not an, an easy thing to deal with as far as how um, the filtering and the security around it happens. And it, it is a bureaucracy, and I could fully understand it being super frustrating to operate. But then just from a technical standpoint that that all the people like say, this is just such a big issue, and they have zero understanding of what is going on with it and why – you know why did why was there emails on Anthony's Weiner's computer? Why was the uh, FBI able or not able to sift through those within a you know a couple days? Um, you know where emails live. It's like when you and I email with each other. It's like I'm using uh, Gmail. If you e- email me on Kinlane at Gmail, but I also have Kin at API Evangelist, which runs on um, a, 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 an email provider actually in Sweden. Um, it's called Runbox, and it's very secure. It's one of the the more secure providers. And then I also have uh, info at Kinlane.com, which runs on Gmail servers, but it's um, their Google Apps rather than the public Gmail. So depending at any moment what I'm emailing you with. Or what device I am, whether I'm on my laptop or my iPad or my iPhone, you know, it's going to be pulling, syncing. And then if I email you, it's the same on your end. So where these emails live, where they travel, where they're stored on servers or devices is is pretty vast. And it's just really crazy that there's so many people wielding this with, with so little understanding about how it all works. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that this... Um, I think to get back to the sort of original um, quandary around the government, I think that the, that the technology infrastructure of the U.S. government, um, and I'd wager many governments around the world, but it is terrible, uh, like frighteningly terrible. Um, the kinds of compute, the kinds of Hardware that we're very accustomed to using as, quote, civilians is not the hardware that you can use. The kinds of software, the apps that you might use as a, quote, unquote, civilian are not the apps that you get to use um, in government. And so, and then that, which also then by extension means that the sort of ease and familiarity that those of us have our work email that we know how to access our work email account, which might be separate from our personal email accounts, that we know how to set those up so that they work on our mobile devices, is, is, is that, that problem right there, especially if it's your personal mobile device and not a work-assigned or work-owned mobile device, if your computer, if you have a computer that's your personal computer, 
um, and not the work assigned personal computer. I mean, this level of the, com the sort of the problems of the technology infrastructure and the ways it's actually quite anathemic to the way at which most of us are accustomed to technology working, right? We, 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 have, we get all of our emails on our phone and that we don't sort of have a separate device for our, quote, work emails. So that's one piece. But then I think when I say we there, I mean those of us that are sort of somewhat savvy about using technology. Um, from what I can understand from, like, <laughs> Hillary Clinton, and I think the same thing can be said for Donald Trump, and the same thing can be said for many people in powerful positions both inside and outside the government, they don't use technology at all. So when they get an email, they forward it to somebody who prints it out for them. So already there's, like, if you think about just practices of why would Huma Abedin have emails on her computer is actually because Hillary Clinton didn't know how to, like, work the printer. And you can laugh at that, but then you can also say, uh, working the printer in a government agency is is not as simple as like pulling you know choosing the HP printer at the in the corner of the office and printing to that like there's this layer of there's this layer of sort of practical and then technological just like cluster fuckery that makes e like makes email not work for people that are used to being given a folder of papers that they read the folder of papers. Well, and I, I think people are going to immediately, people that, that are now, right now, you know, not that anybody's listening to this, that's super insecure but, and, and pro-Trump, but um, they're going to say, well, this was classified information, different story. But this is, this is across the board with, I mean, I guarantee that you are probably sending personally identifiable information, either healthcare, a student's data, um, you know, someone's social security number, you have done this at some point in time. Somewhere in your inbox, there's this. You've talked shit on someone at work. Right. You have you forwarded you know, your social security number. Yeah, yeah. And so the fact, and, and the other aspect of this, the other dimension of this is, that blows my mind that this is now the standard is is that WikiLeaks has, has you know, uh, leaked these emails and made this part of the conversation. I think I said this before, but in the debate, you know, uh, Trump's using this as a talking point, talking about her emails that were leaked. And so like that this is the norm. I mean, people might, you know, love focusing on that. But what, what happens when that's you? What happens when your emails, I mean, we, we talked about this, you know, a couple weeks ago, Lawrence Lessig's emails being swept up in this. I mean, people get swept up in, in these, by these vacuums and these, you know, going on around these leaks. And, you know, you don't know, I don't know, you know, what, what people's tracks are, but you could be working in government at some point, whether at the city, county, state, or federal level. And, um, you know, having the fear of FOIA hanging over you, I've had it, um, you know, that my Gmail for a period of time is foyable um my you know because i work for the federal government so 
that's I don't think people grasp that and that um you know and how their their lack of a understanding of the whole thing you know does not defend them and that's you know yet another thing um that really bothers me about Comey and the director of the FBI and just the lack of un- I mean he is that classic CEO that you and I have all come across in the enterprise and in nonprofit organizations that print out their email and he admittedly has no idea how any of this works Yet, he is the guy making the decision on whether or not to weigh in on this during an election. Yeah, I mean, and I think that that's, to me, that's part of, I mean, part of the, 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 the problem and part of the way in which, you know, t- again, talking about predicting the future, how can you tell a story that is believable, um, that is believable enough? And I think that because of the sort of really widespread, I mean, widespread illiteracy around email, Email, one of the, of like a very early function added to, um, added to computing. Like email is, isn't a new and and fancy thing. But because of a of a lack of understanding about how email works, what an email server, is, um, that I think that we can sort of we can convince many 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 people that this is some sort of um, scandalous criminal. Act. I mean, even the stuff. I mean, I've heard people. You know, Trump talks about bleaching her server. There was an ad yesterday um, here in the uh, during the football game I was watching that had a that was again going after Hillary Clinton for the email thing, and saying she had the audacity to destroy. Um, she destroyed her her uh, phones and her laptops. Um, physically, physically destroyed them, as though that was a criminal act. When in fact, that's the proper way to dispose of a of any device. Uh, so we have a, we don't understand how data persists. We don't understand how data moves, um, what it move, what it looks like when it moves from one computer through a server to a different computer. Um, we don't understand how any of these things work. And then when the FBI is like, yeah, actually these emails that, that we thought were a big thing, they, those were actually duplicates. And I think people in technology were like, yeah, no shit, right? Like, of course, like, I mean, we, I think I know, I can tell you how her, how Huma Abedin's emails got onto Anthony Weiner's computer because she logged onto his computer one day and checked her email. Uh, <laughs> and the, that computer downloaded those locally. And even though Hillary Clinton might have deleted them on her end, they may still exist on the server. They might may not still exist on the server, but they still exist on a local on a local device that is shared in a household. I wouldn't share uh, a, a, a computing device with Anthony Weiner. That I hope she sanitized her hands afterwards. But. Um, but yeah, like this is, you know, this is sort of a no-brainer. But then you have Trump come out yesterday and a bunch of his supporters that say there's no way that the FBI could have gone through and in just a week or, um, decided whether or not these compu- these emails matched the emails that they'd already seen. Like it's just not technically possible. And again, I have to imagine that this that what they have in their imagination is someone's printed out all the emails, right? They've printed out all the emails. And someone is having to like hold one email up to another email to see if they're comparable. No understanding of how a computer program could probably do that, you know, in about 45 minutes.
Yeah. I mean, it's it's scary when they're, you know, again, this is the talking point of the election and they're actually using what's in some of these leaked emails. You know, they don't understand that technology, but they don't understand that there's no way of validating the emails, the leaked emails that they're using as as a, as a concrete part. They don't understand any of how this works, as well as just the people being, you know, I mean, this is what you and I rail on all the time about just basic digital literacy. It's not like you have to be able to set up an email server and operate email server and under SM, understand SMTP and POP and all of that, but you should probably have a basic understanding of which accounts you have, who your provider is, um, how many accounts, all of that, and and so that you can at least somewhat speak intelligently to this in a, you know, to be a, a digitally literate citizen to a certain degree. Um, I, I, so you say you don't think that you need to know the difference between SMTP and POP, but... Uh, Maybe you well, do, you know, <laughs> right? Like this know, is actually you should know the difference. Right, this you is, don't need to know how. It no, works, okay, the right, protocol. because this is actually like this is actually the difference that we're talking about in this case, don't you think? Oh yeah, I mean you should. Like this is like this have, is actually a question of of what is pop, right? Like well, I mean, yeah, what is was pop versus SMTP? Right. And I would say probably IMAP. You should probably have an understanding of the difference. That IMAP brings to the table um, over right. SMTP and POP. No, and be, I mean this is precisely my point: is that, like if you're and if you're going to be weighing in about sort of the intricacies of of email, and and if you're someone who says, I feel as though this email thing is is proof positive that Hillary Clinton is a criminal, then you'd better be able to, I think, understand the technological functioning that makes the way in which email works lives on a server or is deleted from a server or is just you know um it is delivered from one device to another you should you should have an understanding and then i mean i think for your own practices be thinking about what do you want where do you want your email where do you want the messages that you've read and sent to live and do you want to be able to delete them or do you want them to do you want them to be able to delete them locally so that right that, that that you don't run out of storage on your machine or do you want them to be gone you know well and, and i mean i think even before this i mean we see other or alongside this domain literacy, the basic, you know, understanding the site of something you're sharing is coming from. But then I don't think people can understand the difference between, you know, me having, you know, my kin lane at Gmail versus my kin at API Evangelist. Like, what are the fundamental differences there? And domain literacy is a piece of that. It's like, where is your shit hosted? You know, where is it? Is it my domain? Is it one that I own? Is it one that my company owns? Is it one that my government agency owns? Or is it a, a, a SaaS? And a, and a cloud provider, I think those basic fundamentals should be known. Yeah, I mean, and to come back to your question about about the FOIA, um, you know, I mean, the, it doesn't actually like if you're doing if you're if you're if it's work that can be pub FOIAable, um, it doesn't matter if it's on your personal account; it can still be FOIAed. Yeah, and uh, I mean, people, you know, back to where things are stored. Like me as an individual, if you emailed me in 2013, I worked for the GSA um, in the White House. Your shit stored in my email. Your shit is foyable. So, you know, I don't think people understand to the extent that 
um, you know, this stuff is is fair game and and part of the part of the conversation, whether they like it or understand it or not, doesn't defend you. It doesn't make you immune from this going on just because you don't understand what's going on, Comey. <laughs> You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. Um, I wish, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I so I think that it's it actually is incumbent upon um, all of us, I think, as you know, quote unquote, citizens, to have better technical understanding for precisely these reasons. And I think, you know, the, certainly for those of us in making policy decisions, and certainly I think for journalists as well, being able to understand, um, uh, being able to, if not understand how an email server works, that when the st- when a story is about email, to be able to have. Ex- experts that you can turn to and say, I just want to clarify what's going on here, right? So that, that you aren't just sort of doing this hand-waving stuff that, um, that sort of, I think, perpetuates stories that people want to tell about Hillary Clinton, that she's, um, that the corruption is sort of, that the, that the corruption is sort of evident in this act of creating a, of a private email server, when I think it's, um, I, I think it was a bad idea. It was a terrible bad. It was a terrible no good. It was a bad, bad idea. But um, if but I think it's uh, I I I kind of understand how that bad idea happened. Well, and for people to uh, really ridicule her and say she should should be put in jail for this this bad idea and and you know that she was unaware of what she was doing i mean she wasn't i mean i know a lot of people think she was malicious and she knew what she was doing but the lady i don't can't I don't, print her email she didn't know what she was doing yeah and she didn't make a lot of these decisions and and i would say add that probably some of the p- smart people around her probably didn't uh do their jobs as far as informing her and keeping her in tune with you know uh good good advice but it's like if you're gonna be if you're gonna be stepping up and 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 criticizing this and using this as a talking point that you um, need to you know ha- step up and and have a little more ownership as far as digital literacy is concerned. And this conversation came up at API Strat, well, an a, a, a meetup that I went to and spoke at, and someone a friend of mine had said that you know well who's got the time to teach this or do this or learn this and. I would say we got to start making the time, you know, uh, you know, we need to figure out how to um, not be jumping on our, our soapbox and going after people when our own, um, you know, literacy is is so poor and so low. And we need to make sure that if we're we're in the know that we're taking time to um, help people around us understand and, and learn and grow and not shame people and we need to do this as a society. We need to figure out how to bake it into K through 12, higher ed. We need a more digitally literate society, whether it's domain, whether it's data, whether it's email, um, because obviously there's a lot at stake right now because of this. And if, if we're not going there, um, you know, we're going to head down some really dark, dark roads. Well, I mean, and, and uh, I think that this is, I mean, I think that this is exactly where I would start with it, is that having conversations with individuals, but then also thinking about what are the larger ways in which we can work this into, um, like you said, courses um, courses and classes at, at the K-12 and higher ed level. I mean, the very basic level, I think, this is a so, this is a social studies question. Like, this isn't actually, you don't have to take a learn-to-code class. This is a social studies question, right? This is what does it mean to be a responsive responsible civically um, to to your community, to your country, to the planet. 
um, is is taking some of these questions into into account in our own practices because you know how do you handle your email, right? You can, but like list like how do you personally handle your email? I know a lot of people that have hundreds of thousands of unread messages. So you know what what are the practices that you're that you're doing in order to be responsible about this data, all within the back of our minds now knowing that this has become a, a tactic in cyber warfare, right? That these personal communications are really, really quickly weaponized. And how are we gonna negotiate what we, what we archive, what we delete, and how we're gonna address the ability to have private conversations, but also the ability to be able to um, to be able to preserve important um, important documents for the sake of history, but also also for the sake of court cases, right? Well, and I think this is one of the you know you're you're you've been for years now railing on the the learn to code movement, and it's not that you're against people learning to code, which I think some people love to uh, polarize. It's that you know this bar is being set to this point that everybody should learn to code, and there's this massive canyon between what people know and people getting to that. And then I feel like this is just a a two o or three o version of classic IT that like oh you know what most of you're gonna fail, most of you never gonna reach that bar and then that just sets the stage well don't worry your little pretty little head about it. obviously you're not smart enough to get there let us just handle it pay us to do your it to do your thing and which then just further feeds a society that is is technically and digitally illiterate and what we need to do is is be addressing everything you just you know covered rather than raising the bar so high that people can't get to it. we need to lower this down to you know make sure it's part of every every class that it's impacting in social studies being the the good place to start yeah wow we've rambled we're so we're so i mean i feel like we are like so nervous about like from okay for me maybe not we i'm so nervous about what is going what the next day is going to bring what the next couple of months are going to bring that i just probably could talk for another hour just to because i am i'm a fucking wreck well i have um I have microphones and everything ready in the undisclosed uh, basement location. It's, it could be in another country for next week in case we have to go there. Excellent. Well, then, um, uh, talk to you next week. And ho- like, hopefully the planet's still here and this country is still here. And Hermosa Beach is, is Hermosa. And, uh, yeah, until then. 